Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to be with you again, even though it's online and we're continuing our series on the Minor Prophets. And in this time of the coronavirus, I thought it was interesting in the book of Micah, which is the book we're looking at this morning, Micah talks about streaming, which is what we're doing with our services. In chapter 4, verse 1, it talks about all of the people will stream to the mountain of the Lord. How about that? So the Bible is completely up to date. Maybe a different meaning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have, even discussing it and learning about it this way. We pray that you'll help us this morning to better understand the book of Micah and to understand your word, your message to us and how that impacts our lives as we follow Jesus in the 21st century. So thank you for your word and we pray now for your help of your Holy Spirit to enlighten us. We ask and pray in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Well, the question that Micah asks, and it's a good question, is what does God require of us? What does God want us to do? <clears throat> we could give all sorts of different answers to that, of uh, regular church attendance. And of course, at the moment, it's going to be regular online church attendance. Daily quiet times, faithfully connecting with a Bible study group or a connect group. Uh, cheerful tithing, determined scripture memory, being... Um, clean in the language that we use and the way we speak. They're all good activities and they're all great choices that indicate that we have some sort of relationship with God, but there is something missing from our list, which Micah certainly says was also missing from Israel's list. Think about it in terms of the church gathering together, but then the flip side is the church scattered. So it's not just our personal individual lives, what happens inwardly, but it's what happens outwardly? First and greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. But the flip side of that, the second one is like it. It's to love others, to love people. So it's not just loving God, but it's also balanced by loving one another, loving people. That's God's agenda and God's purpose for us. Our outward life is really important to God. So God has saved us and he's called us to be in the world. He doesn't take us out of the world. He wants us in the world, but consecrated, being salt and light, guiding stars in the midst of the darkness, as he says, um, <clears throat> in our families, to our neighbours, in our neighbourhoods, in our community groups, in society and in, through our culture. God wants us to be an influence for him, reflecting Jesus. This is exactly what Micah says in a very famous verse, Micah 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly towards outsiders, towards others, to love mercy towards others, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah emphasizes the integrated life integrating our spirituality with our social ethics. Israel missed that integration. And in missing it, they also missed all of the potential blessings that God had for them. So if we look at the book of Micah, his name means who is like Yahweh, who is like the Lord. And interestingly, he'll use his name at the end of the book uh, with a, a very well-known verse. He tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, that he is from Moresheth, 
which is about 40 kilometres west-southwest of Jerusalem. He's in the lower foothills, uh, heading down towards the plains before you get to the Mediterranean Sea. He's heading towards the border of the Philistines, near Gath, where Samson was and where Goliath came from. And so he's a country boy. Uh, he's a contemporary of Isaiah. They would have been preaching buddies, both preaching in Jerusalem. Isaiah, of course, was born in Jerusalem and born... Uh, as a cousin to the king, so he was used to ministering in high circles of the aristocracy and um, the upper classes of Jerusalem, whereas Micah is more from the country and he's associating more with the common people, the ordinary people, and that's reflected in the way they write and the analogies they use. <clears throat> in fact, an interesting thing is that both Micah and Isaiah either one quotes the other, we don't know which one's quoting one, but they have word for word exactly the same paragraph. Clearly the Holy Spirit inspired them to both include it. So Micah chapter 4 and it's Isaiah chapter 2 and just the first four verses of it. He tells us when he ministered. It puts us in a historical context for us. It was the time of three kings, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah. Isaiah was a little bit older, and so he adds the former king, Uzziah. And you can read about that in 2 Kings from chapter 15 to about chapter 20 is where these three kings' lives are mentioned in the middle of it. Assyria invades northern Israel and deports them. Micah is mentioned twice in the New Testament, once by the scribes, Matthew chapter 2, once by Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. We'll come to those. Micah is a true prophet of the Lord who seems to have spoken, as I said, mainly in Jerusalem. He had observed the spreading influence of Samaria's sin onto Jerusalem and then from Jerusalem how it had spread out into the country areas and into his district. He'd observed that personally. Chapter 1, verse 8, he testifies that because of this spreading sin, I will weep and wail. I'll go about barefoot. I will howl like a jackal and I'll mourn like a dove. He, um, he's destitute. He's devastated by what he sees as the degradation of society. Um, in chapter 3, verse 8, he talks about, it's not just his own personal observations, it's the Spirit of God calling. Uh, As for me, I am filled with power, he says, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Notice that, that he's speaking both to Jacob, southern tribes, and to Israel, the northern tribes. He's speaking to both because they are both companions in sin. They will also likewise be companions in judgment. Micah is a summary of three of his messages, chapters 1 to 2, 3 to 5, 6 to 7. They all begin with hear or listen to what God wants to say to the nation, but it's more helpful for us instead of just following the three messages, we go by their content <clears throat> because in each of the three messages, there is both a theme of judgment, but also the mention of hope, of restoration, of forgiveness and uh, another chance to start again. And the emphasis of that varies. So if we go by the themes, the main themes, then the book will fall into three parts. First part is chapters one to three which is really about judgment is coming, both for Judah and for Israel, because they have failed to live out God's laws. But hope is mentioned in two verses. 
verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. In part 2, which is chapters 4 and 5, it's a wonderful prophecy about the Messiah and the new world that's coming, the new kingdom that he will set up. Blessings will follow this time of judgment. And then part 3 of the last two chapters, chapter 6 and 7, it's a courtroom scene where God pours out his heart and asks the question, why did you turn away from me? They are charged with sin and they're found guilty. And chapter 7, the conclusion to the book is Micah's response, his confidence, his prayer, his final affirmation. The people of Israel had agreed to enter into a covenant with God and to live by his standards. If they did that, then God said he would bless them. If they didn't do it, and God warned them, Deuteronomy 28, that he would remove them from the land. God is a God who is patient and slow to anger. So that process took centuries. God had taught them how to live. And they had acted that out, but only outwardly. They went through the motions. It didn't come from their heart. And it certainly wasn't acted out consistently in their lives. And in each of the three messages or the three parts of the book, Judah is just as guilty as Israel. And that's why Judah will also be disciplined by God. Before we jump in, <clears throat> Martin Luther made this comment, uh, not just about Micah, about the prophets generally, and I think it's a helpful quote. Luther says, The prophets have a queer way of writing. It's a little bit like the pot calling the kettle black, because so did Luther. He says, it's like people who, instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, they ramble off on one thing to the next, and so you cannot make head or tail of what they're getting at. Well, Micah certainly is a little bit like that. He jumps from the present to the future, to the far future, back to the present, back to the future. And sometimes he can do that in a sentence. He can do it in a verse. For instance, in chapter 4, which is a wonderful prophecy of the far future he's talking about all the nations coming to jerusalem and people sitting on, under their own fig trees it'd be a time of world peace but in verse 5 he says all the nations may walk in the name of their gods that's the present but we will walk that's future we will walk in the name of our god forever and ever present future together in one sentence and it takes patience and multiple readings and noting the clues and wrestling with what is the prophet meaning? What is God saying? And so there are various understandings. It's a wonderful book, easy to read in one sitting, and I would encourage you to read it through several times, slowly and prayerfully. But it's filled with favourite text, chapter 5, verse 2. We read this at Christmas. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. We know that verse. Chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Or chapter 7, the end of the book, verse 18. Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions. Or verse 19, you will cast our iniquities into the depth of the sea and no fishing allowed, as Corrie ten Boom would say. 
Micah wrote about the Messiah's birthplace, his lineage and origin, his reign, and he refers to him as Israel's king and Israel's ruler. So it's a great book. Let's work our way through it, picking up some of the key themes. One of the major themes, of course, is about judgment. Uh, Judah and Israel are going into exile. They're being removed from the land. Uh, that God is going to bring a conqueror who will take them into exile. Chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Why is God going to do this? Well, for their sins. And Micah names them specifically throughout the book. And as you read it through, you can take note of those. But generally speaking, there are three sins. Idolatry, which is a sin against God, hurting God. There is immorality, which is a sin of our own indulgence, as well as hurting other people. And injustice, which is, again, uh, people um, hurting other people, but also uh, injuring them. So sins of idolatry, immorality and injustice. In chapter 1, verse 9, Micah says that their sin is incurable. It's spreading. It's spread from the north and now it's reached all the way down to Judah and it's unstoppable. That's why God is having to act so strictly. A bit like us with the coronavirus. We had to act strictly and go into isolation and be removed. So God is putting Israel and Judah in isolation. He's going to remove them from the land. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. They wake up in the morning and they're thinking about what mischief will I get up to today? At morning's light, they carry it out because it's in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them. They, um, they covet houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes and they rob them of their inheritance. It's the rich exploiting the poor and turning people out of their homes and properties and putting them on the street, homeless. In chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, God says, the prophet says, Lately my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe of those who pass by without a care. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from the children forever. God says, get up, go away. For this is not your resting place. It is defiled. It is ruined. It's beyond all remedy. I have to act in this very strong and strict way. And of course, it's not just the people who are sinning, it's the leaders. And Micah targets them on numerous occasions. They've been given authority by God, but they had forgotten that they were under his authority and therefore accountable to him. They were using their power for their own advantage, lining their own pockets. Who would have thought? Might is right, is their slogan. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, Micah says... Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil? Or chapter 3, 9 to 12, hear this, you leaders of Jacob and you rulers of Israel, you despise justice and you distort all that is right. You build Zion, which is Jerusalem, with bloodshed and you do it with wickedness. Then listen to this. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. 
every segment of leadership and of society is, is affected and they're in it for the finances, for their own financial gain. They even look to the Lord for his support and they say things like, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. We're God's people. He chose us. We're his favoured ones. And Micah informs them that God has changed in his attitude towards them because they have changed then their behaviour and their attitude towards him. They have been misled. Micah talks about these false prophets. They are the ones who, they interrupt Micah in his preaching and they in fact teach the opposite or preach the opposite. Chapter 2 verse 6, they say, do not prophesy, Micah. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Well, of course not, these false prophets would say. You contrast that with God's word through Micah in chapter 7, chapter 2, verse 7, the second half of the verse. Do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright. What a great verse. Do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright. God's word, when it's obeyed and implemented in our life, does us good. It blesses us. The false prophets, again, chapter 2, verse 11. Micah says, If a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for these people. The people have itching ears. They want to hear the good things and they have trouble with too much drink, with alcohol. They're way too much time on their hands or something. It's like, uh, times are good, let's celebrate. Or, wow, times are bad, let's get wasted. Either way, they end up inebriating themselves. Chapter 3, verse 5, this is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat. But they proclaim, prepare to wage war if they refuse to feed them. These false prophets are in it for their own personal development, their own personal advantages, um, and they will lead the nation to disaster. Chapter 3, verse 12, the first part concludes with, therefore because of you, God says, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. Jerusalem and Judah are going to be decimated. That's the end of the first part and Jerusalem is in ruins. But that's not the end of the story. A kingdom is coming. In the second part, when you move into chapter um, 4, you have this magnificent promise this prophecy it's like Micah lifts his eyes and he sees centuries millennia into the future sees beyond Assyria and Babylon sees beyond Greece and Rome sees beyond the Middle Ages beyond the Reformation beyond the 20th century it's still future he sees the temple in Jerusalem is exalted to the chief place of worship for all nations he sees um, and focus upon one person, the King, the Messiah, who will rule, who will judge, who will bring peace to the nations everywhere. But, Micah says, before this um, can happen, before that kingdom comes, this nation is going to be carried away. 
And the promise is, you'll later be brought back and restored. So he saw it. You can read that in chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, which talks about the Messiah reigning from Jerusalem and worldwide peace following. Uh, God's going to reassemble his people. The Lord's going to rule from Mount Zion forever. Chapter 4, verse 8. The former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. The king will be in Jerusalem. Um, chapter 4, verse 10. See this balance between there is a future hope, but the present reality is judgment. Writhe in agony, daughter Zion. Uh, you will go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you and uh, take you out of the hands of the enemies. So the kingdom will come, but it won't come until the king comes, which is what Micah predicts and outlines for us in chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the kings of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, the coming king, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. He lived before he was born. That's the end of part two. Part three, it's a courtroom scene. And it's God bringing charges against his people. Um, and in verses six and seven of chapter six, it's difficult to understand. Uh, many commentators take it to be Israel's excuses. I read it to be Micah speaking and Micah giving an extreme example of their behavior to emphasize his point. For instance, there are four forms of worship outlined in verses six to seven. Uh, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the food of my body for the sin of my soul? I think Micah's making extreme statements about worship because he wants to make his point. He has shown you what he requires of you. What does God want? Not extreme forms of worship. What God wants is for you to love justice, to act justly, to be just towards other people, to love mercy and to be merciful to other people. And to walk humbly, not proudly, not religiously, not strutting, but walk humbly with your God, one step at a time, one day at a time. But because Israel refused, judgment was coming. And that's where Micah resumes and concludes the message of his book. But it ends with this wonderful note of hope. It's a bit like this analogy. Uh, the Lord is the judge. And we're in his courtroom and we appear before him and he is perfectly just and he finds us guilty as charged and we're unable to pay the fine. <clears throat> so he, the judge, stands, takes off the cloak of his own office and approaches the court secretary, takes out his checkbook and he writes out a check paying our debt. The judge pays for us justice and mercy. That's how Micah ends chapter 7. Verses 18 to 20. Who was a God like you? In Hebrew, Micah. That's what his, word, his name means. Who is like Yahweh? Who was a God like you? 
who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of his people. He delights to show mercy, who will cast our iniquities into the depths of the sea. God has a very big eraser. We need to let him use it in our life. Was Micah successful with his message? Yes. Just as Jonah was used by God in Nineveh, and it made a difference for about 100 years that there was peace, uh, not invading uh, the people of Israel, so too God used Micah in Hezekiah's life. Hezekiah listened to Micah and repented. And as you read it in the book of Kings and Chronicles, you'll see that God relented from what he was going to do. There was a delay of 150 years. And in fact, in Jeremiah chapter 26, Micah is quoted because Jeremiah is about to be executed. But one of the elders in Jerusalem stands up and says, there was a prophet 80 years ago. His name was Micah. And he said exactly the same thing. And they quote um, Micah 3.12. And so Jeremiah's life is preserved because of what Micah had done. And in Jeremiah 29, it in fact says, um, uh, this is, the Lord is going to destroy. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, or anyone else in Judah put him to death? No. Did not Hezekiah fear the Lord and seek his favor? And did not the Lord relent? So he did not bring this disaster that he had pronounced against them. Jeremiah 26, verses 16 to 19. Micah's mission was accomplished in his day. I guess the question for us is, will it be accomplished in ours? Will we be the people that God wants us to be in our society, in our neighbourhood? 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Verse 10 Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. And because we are the people of God and because we have received mercy, God requires us to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with him. One step at a time, one day at a time. The message of Micah. Small book, great message, a lot of hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word teaches us, and Micah does certainly, that you are just and merciful. We want to thank you for Jesus, the one who came, who through his death on the cross has paid the penalty, paid the debt of all of our sin. Thank you for the power of his resurrection. We know that he's ruling at the moment. We look forward to his return when he will set up his forever kingdom. Help us, Lord, to do as you require, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you until the King arrives and he does establish a new earth and a new heaven in a new kingdom. We pray in his name. Amen.